Good morning. Please take your Bibles and stand with me. This morning we're going to be reading from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Any of you that may have the black Bibles from the back, we've made it easy for you this morning. It's page one. <laughs> so you don't have to turn very many pages. Again, that's Genesis 1, 26 through 31, page one in the black Bibles. And let's remember that we are reading God's word together. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, guys, how we doing this morning? Hmm? Good? Okay, already a bit more responsive than 20-somethings. That's good. Thank you. So, uh, yep, my name's Vince, and uh, I feel that there is a, a mandatory obligation for me to tell you that I'm excited to be here, right? That's, um, I think every, every guest pastor has to say that, um, but I mean it, right? Uh, really excited to be here this morning. Um, we at, uh, at Redemption, across all the campuses, We've heard about the building project and the belaboring and just how long you guys have spent waiting to be in this place. And so we're always asking Luke, we're asking Matthew, hey, like, what's God doing out there? How's Gateway going? What's the pulse? How are people feeling? And it's always been, for the most part, there's a few of you, but for the most part... It's really good, okay? We've been blessed to hear the God stories of what God's doing out here, and so I'm excited to be here. It's my first time being able to make it out to this campus, and so to be here, to see you guys, to put faces to just really what was a name prior to this morning um, really is an exciting thing for me. So I mean it, so that's a win. Um, the second piece of that is you guys are really far out here, right? That is like, I, I saw a sign that said New Mexico, two miles. It's like right here. You guys are, it's crazy. So um, excited to be here. Luke, like he said, he's, uh, he's up in Colorado doing this pastor's retreat, really sacrificial, and so be praying for him uh, in that, okay? Um, we are in week four of our doctrine series, and we're going to continue on, and we're building off of last week. I think Luke preached with you guys on the topic of creation, and then next, uh, next week, uh, Matthew will be in here to preach uh, the fall, and so um, I'm kind of in this tension between these, these two topics, right, and trying to find a way to not, not repeat too much of last week and not necessarily go too much on what Matthew wants to talk about next week, and so uh, deal with me kind of in that tension. Today we're looking at, as Matthew said, this idea of the image of God. Theologically, we call this the Imago Dei. What does it mean 
that you and I and humankind were created in God's image. Now, the important thing, we've said this throughout the entire series, is that we don't just want to give you proofs, right? We just don't want to say the what, but really the why. What, what do these doctrines mean implicationally? What does it mean for us to walk out of this room having a firm understanding and foundation of the image of God on our lives, right? So what we always say is that true theology is a lived theology. So whatever we take and we learn and we get as a foundational level, we walk out these doors and apply them. And so that's where we want to spend most of our time on that. What you see is outside these walls, and and many of you probably have these questions as well, but this is an important topic Because when you walk out these doors, the questions are being asked like, what does it mean to be human, right? What is the nature of man? And and the top one is, who am I, right? Everyone's asking this question some point in their life to define for themselves a worldview of who they are. And what they do is they look for answers, and oftentimes when they don't find them, they begin to craft their own ideas of what it could be. This morning, we want to be a church that is founded on the true answers, right? The answers that foundationally are true, not just for the Christian, but for everybody. And so, that being said, let me share a story with you. When I was in college at San Diego State University, I had a really good buddy. Like I said, I was working with Camps Crusade for Christ at the time. And this guy, his name's Jordan. Let's get that out there. Jordan was a guy who was part of our ministry. And he used to come out and spend time with us. Guys, Bible study, weekly meetings, discipleship, the whole deal. Asking a lot of good questions. Never really land on really solid answers, but he was with us. One day, he just disappears, right? Like, we cannot find Jordan. The guy's gone. It's been like three weeks. We're not, we're not like, concerned he's dead, right? But we're wondering where he's at. And so, can't get in touch with him. Different people are texting, emailing. Eventually, I'm walking down Centennial Walkway in the middle of campus, and I see him in the distance. And I'm like, all right, I've got to go talk to this guy. And so I walk up to Jordan. I was like, hey, man, like, where have you been? What's going on? You know, and he says to me, he goes, I, I'm sorry I haven't been there, but, but I think I get it now. And I said, really? Like, what, you think you get what now? He's like, no, 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 I, I just get it, man. Right? And anytime someone tells you, I just get it, man, it's obviously not going to go that well. And so he says to me, yeah, I just get it now. And I said, okay, well, what, what are you saying? He goes, well, I get this whole religion thing. I was like, all right, well, what, what does that mean as I probe further? He says, look, I began to look at myself and who am I. And then I began to look at Christianity and say, what is it? And then I found some links of, yeah, I see myself in Christianity. But I've been studying other religions, and, and I looked at Hinduism, and I, and I see myself in some of that too. And in Buddhism, and he lists off these different things, right? He's like, I see myself in each of these, and, and you know what? Uh, I just kind of, I think this is it, that it's about all the things where you see yourself in and you can somewhat just pick and choose. And I said, no, you can't, right? Like, that's, that's not the way this works. And I said, well, how, how, is, how does this functionally play out for you, right? What does this look like on the day that he goes, just very obscurely says, Vince, this morning I woke up and I chose these shoes and I put these shoes on. I was like, all right, man, like, I did that too, right? So we're on the same page right now. And he goes, he says, yeah, and then, and then after I put on the shoes, I, I, I chose these pants, and I put the pants on. And, and I couldn't help it. I said, so you put the pants on after the shoes. This just seems like a terrible religion. Like, that, I'm like, bro, 
if this is, if this is a doctrine of your faith right now, you need, to, you need to run, right? That's just, it's impossible. And so uh, he was starting to get a little frustrated. That probably wasn't the, the nicest, most Christ-like thing to say to him in the moment. But I was just like, all right, man, like, where are you going with this? He says, and then I chose this shirt, and I put on this shirt. And it was, the idea was it was me, 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 right? I made these choices. I made these decisions. I crafted for myself this worldview that would answer the questions that he was asking. Who am I? What is the nature of man? And he crafted this answer based on all of the areas that he deemed to be the best. The problem with that is it's just completely abiblical. And so this morning, let's look at the Bible. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26 again. And I want to break it down and unpack it a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to stay in Genesis 1. I think it's going to be up on the screen too. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so just stop right there for a moment. You get a picture of the Trinity right there, right? It's just a little nugget from God saying, hey, let us make man in our image. The Trinitarian unified three-in-one Godhead says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. And so God, over the last days, had been spending time speaking everything into existence. This is what Luke talked about last week, that he just said, planet, right? He said, aardvark. Like, it was just that easy for God. He speaks everything into existence. And then you get this idea, at least this is the way I visualize it. I see this, this cosmic, just trinitarian powwow where where god the father the son the spirit kind of hanging out and they're saying what's what else do we need to do here what's what's missing from creation right and so they're talking and 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 you know i I picture right god he's a spirit so he's kind of floating around and you got jesus he's you know stroking his beard and the spirit i'm not sure what the spirit's doing he's like a pinball i don't know he's everywhere and so they're just kind of doing their thing and then they say you know what there's nothing in here that directly images us Right? There's nothing directly here that is going to reflect who we are. And so they create man. See, the answer to their question of, hey, how do we take what we've created here and put something that will be completely made in our image, and we are the answer? Like, that is unbelievable that in the beginning of time, as God created everything we see, he begins to think to himself, where am I going to see me in this? And we're the answer of all the things he created. Man becomes the apex of his creation. And then he chooses to do something different here. He says, I'm going to create a male, right? And so we know in chapter 2, and we won't, we won't go there today, but in chapter 2, he creates Adam, right? Breathes life into Adam. And then Adam is there, and, and he's, he's told to, to name all the animals and cultivate the land. And so you get this picture of the animals are just kind of parading in front of him, right? And he's just naming them. He's like rhinoceros, right? And then he's hippopotamus. And then he's just starting to get tired, so he's like cat, right? He can't think syllables are getting too much, right? And so he's just like cat, Dog, bird, right? Just bam, 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 just shuffling them through there. And he's beginning to look. You just think of Adam. He's sitting there and he's like, man, I just, what's here for me? Like, 
I, I, don't, I don't see something that I'm engaging with on, on another level. God, is there something here? I mean, the giraffe, I mean, the spots are pretty, but, you know, he's really tall. You know, the rhinoceros, I'm scared of the horns. You know, the dog's cool, but he's probably more as a best friend, that type of thing. You know, and so he's just like, I, don't, I just, I don't see anything. And God says, you know what, you're right, Adam. And so he says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And all the, all the ladies in here are like, amen, right? You guys are like, yeah, every time I come home, I leave for an hour. He's eating Hot Pockets and watching Cheers. You know what I mean? You're just like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Man should not be alone. And so God, God instead says, hey, let me, let me do something about that. And so male and female, he creates them equally. Equal value. Equal share in the goodness and creativity of God. See, when men go too far to the left, right, and say, no, 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 see, uh, the women are just a side note, that's, that's chauvinism, right? And then on the opposite end, women, when you do that, that's, that's uh, feminism, okay? You're not, those are both bad, okay? It's, it's this, it's right in the middle, equal value, God says, I create both of you in my image, male and female. Now, the importance of this goes beyond just the fact that God would make man and woman, it goes into the fact that we have a triune, unified, three-in-one God who looked upon his creation, looking for something to completely image who he is, saw Adam and said, look, there's, there's no way for me to, be, to image the unity that I have in the Trinity unless he has someone else with him. See, in marriage, a husband and a wife come together in oneness and form a unity that we only see in the Trinity. That male and female, they come together to reflect and image a unified Trinitarian God. It's pretty amazing. God's a genius. God is a genius. Two become one. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. God spent all these days of creation, everything he made, looking back on saying, That's good. That's good, and that's good. He gets to the end of it all after making something that could finally image who he is, and he says, it is very good. God's creation, because of man, the apex, is very good. He gives some mandates to Adam. He says, there's a few things I need you to do while you're there, right? He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Adam's no problem, right? I can do that one. That one's, thank you, God. Second one. Have dominion over creation, right? I want you to have dominion. I want you to cultivate all of creation. I created everything, and then I created this garden in the middle of it all. I want you to cultivate Eden and cultivate the world. Essentially, I want you to cause Eden to grow. I want you to take care of the land, take care of the livestock, take care of my creation. You are the steward. Cultivate it well. And then thirdly, he says, enjoy it. God says, enjoy it. Adam, I've created everything, okay? Use it. Eat of it. Bless it and be blessed by it. Enjoy my creation. John Piper always talks about that we are most 
where we glorify God the most when we are most satisfied in Him. He's Adam, enjoy it. Enjoy what I've done. Enjoy what I've created. In light of this, Adam sits there, created by God, in perfect relationship with God, unified with his wife, imaging God. And so he doesn't have to ask the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Right? He doesn't need to ask, well, what does it mean to image God? Because he's just doing it, right? He is in direct relation with God. He's created in the perfect image of God. And so he's not asking that question, right? We need to ask that question this morning and see where we land, all right? So what does that mean? How do we image God? How do we image God? In, uh, in verse 26, it says it uses that word image, right? That word in the, in the Greek essentially means reflection, okay? How do we reflect God? And so this great metaphor uh, has, has, has come up within how, what does it look for us to image God? And it's this idea of a mirror, right? That we mirror God. And so every morning, right, I wake up, my wife is somehow just draped over me, right? Any of you men know that, right? And you're just like, hey, okay, get off, I got to get up, you know? And so you kind of peel her arm off, and I roll out and almost fall out of bed, and, you know, it's, it's sometimes I make a noise, and I try not wake her up. But I get out of bed, the first thing I do is I go to the restroom, wash my face, and I look up, and, and usually what's there, right? A mirror, okay? And it's just an instant reminder that I'm getting older and overweight, right? Like, it's just, an, it's just like, there it is. That's what I look like. This, this stinks, right? And so you just, you just get this picture. Hey, it's just there, right? It's, it, a mirror reflects the image that is there. It's, I, I don't know why I just used that to explain a mirror to you guys. You probably knew what a mirror was. I'm hoping, right? A mirror reflects what looks into it. See, this is why. This is what we are to be for God. So God imparts his image-bearing qualities upon us, and then we reflect it to the world. The book Doctrine, uh, Brashears and Driscoll say this. They say, to image the real Trinitarian God of the Bible is to make him visible to the world. So we have an invisible God that is sovereign and orchestrating this story. And it is our responsibility as his creation to make him visible in any way possible. That is our role as human beings. And I'm not, I'm not even getting into just Christians. As humankind was created that they would make the invisible visible. And it happens in certain degrees, and we'll get into that. Now, there's certain things that are easy for us to, to communicate with the world that watches, and there's things that we just can't do, right? We're not omniscient, right? We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful, Okay? We're not omnipresent. We're not everywhere at once. We're not immutable. We change all the time. You know, we're not eternal. We are very restricted by time. He is not. But there are things that we do share with God that I believe God holds us to in the way that we reflect and mirror who He is. Things such as His holiness. God is holy, He is completely set apart. We live lives holy lives, to reflect, not, not for our benefit, but to reflect who God is. We reflect his righteousness, his mercy, his beauty, his love, his truth, his creativity. That when you exercise these things, you only do so because God has implanted that image of who he is upon you. And when people look at you as a mirror, they see who God is. That's the idea. That's the point of creation. That's why God created us, 
to image and reflect a holy, righteous, loving, truthful, creative, beautiful God. That's why. C.S. Lewis has this quote that says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. That everyone, it's not just the Christian, right? It's not just anyone demographic. That God has created all of mankind to be those image bearers. What this means for us, okay? What this means for us, if God has planted on you and on me this image-bearing quality to be a mirror wherever we're at, this means that all of life is important. So it's not just what you do today. It's not just coming to church. It's not just your Wednesday night Bible study or redemption community. It's, it's not any one event. If you are, if I am, consistently a mirror of who God is, and that is my role, that is the essence of humankind, then every part of my life is important. All of life. The moment I go to work, right? I am a reflection of who God is, and I need to reflect him in a way that preaches to the people that watch the qualities of our sovereign God. So that, that's why it's so important. That's what we preach here at Redemption Church all the time. All of life is important. Whether you're going to school, whether you're working, whether you're retired, whether you're at a supermarket, whether you're at church, every part of where you go and where you live and what you do is important. I work at a restaurant on Saturdays called Babo Italian Eatery. It's really good. Just check it out. And every once in a while, and this is actually, and I, I tell this story a lot because I want to warn you guys. Um, when you go to a lot of restaurants and you fill in a tip, right, the, the server usually has to go in and manually input that tip. Okay, that's the way it works. Now, if a server didn't really like the tip that you left for whatever reason, they could, if they wanted to, just write in anything that they should so desire. Okay? So check your statements. Okay? What happens at Bobo, and, and I've interacted with this a couple times, is other servers that I work with have literally changed the tip amount because they weren't happy with what happened. No one knows. No one ever finds out. No one really checks their bill that often. It could just be a mistake, right? And so they do it. Not that frequently, so don't freak out. But it does happen. And there was this one time where this guy gave me a pretty sour tip. Undeservedly, I should say. Um... And I'm standing next to this guy, and he's like, dude, just throw an extra few bucks on there, man. That's ridiculous, you know. And in that moment, right, like, it's easy to kind of to stand here now, and even you guys sitting there now and think, oh, I'd never do that, right? That's terrible. I tell you what, man, when you're frustrated, it's enticing. But in that moment, I had the opportunity to either, I was, here's the thing, I was going to mirror and reflect God no matter what. I was either going to give them an accurate representation of who God is or give them a complete wrong idea who my God is. That's the option you have every time you make that decision. By God's grace, I, I didn't change the tip, you know, because I wanted to reflect a God of righteousness, a God of love, a God that wouldn't do something like that. And so I chose not to. See, and you guys are confronted, we are all confronted every single day with debates like that. Do we live? Do we live as God would want us to live? Do we make the decision that God would want us to make? Or do we make, it, make our own decision because we don't think people will notice? 
or we probably won't get caught. It's a big decision every time. Foundationally, need to know that in that moment, you are going to reflect something about God. That is just the nature of man to reflect God. You're going to reflect something about him. And you get to choose whether or not is who he is or who he isn't. And that's the option that we have. It's, it, is, it is crazy that God would give us that responsibility. But he also gives us the strength to do it. Now here's the thing. He lays all this out for, for Adam and for Eve. Says, this is, this is the way this works out for you guys. I want you to be my image bearers. And they're probably just really excited. And I, and I wish, I really wish, the story of the Bible, right, that what we have could end in, chapter, in verse 31. But it doesn't. Right? It doesn't end in chapter 1, verse 31. The story goes on, and, and not to tread too much on Matthew's sermon next week, it doesn't go well. Adam and Eve sin. They disobey God, and they fall. Essentially, what they do is they take a giant hammer, and they slam it against their mirrors, and they create a shattered, fractured semblance of a reflection of what it should be. And so now when you look at any one of us, you see this fractured resemblance of God. See, so you get these little pieces. If you guys ever looked at a, at, a, at a mirror that's been broken, right? you look into it, you can still kind of see what's going on, but it's still distorted, right? You get just little glimpses and little pieces of the whole picture, but you don't get the whole thing. Fractured pieces because of the fall, because of disobedience. And so what happens is our response to that becomes what George Bernard Shaw says. He says, God created man in his image, okay? Then man returned the favor, right? So, so God says, hey, I'm going to create something that will completely reflect me. And so what happens to us is we say, all right, well, there's this, there's, there's this disconnect now between God and I in light of the fall. I, don't, I can't see him clearly. I don't see him perfectly. I can't reflect him perfectly. So I begin to think of ways that I can answer the questions myself of who God is and what, what he's about, how to reflect him. And so we create a God that isn't really God because he's more palatable. He's easier to live by the rules that we want to set for ourselves anyway. And essentially we do what my buddy did. We, we, we functionally called Jordan's faith thing Jordanism. So it became like a thing in college about Jordanism, the, the pursuit of just doing whatever deemed and seemed right to him. And by doing that, he just, he took pieces from here and pieces from here and applied himself, where do I find myself in this religion? And he created a God that is not the God of the Bible. He created an image for himself that he could live by, that he could reflect and still feel good about what he was doing. You see, it's easy to look at a guy like Jordan, and I've done this, and just be like, that guy's just wacko, right? The shoes, pants thing was ridiculous. But man, we do this Every day. We do this every day. We create a God for ourselves that allows us to live however we want. Usually it's summed up when we say an answer like, ah, it's not that big a deal, right? After some sin or, or some action where we know, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that, but it's not that big a deal. No, no, no. It's, it's a big deal, right? Nothing has changed in God's command on man to reflect him, we've changed. We've changed. We're sin-filled. 
we reflect in wrong ways. See, what happens is we revert to an animalistic status. So when God, and, and, uh, and Luke probably talked about this last week, right? God creates animals according to their own kind, saying, hey, all of the animals were created in their own kind. This is what they are, but man I will create in my image. But what happens is when we have this disconnect, we begin to look at one another to define God. Instead of we do what the animals do, they only know their own kind, but we know that God creates us in his image. But what we do is we revert back to an animalistic status and just begin to look at one another and say, all right, well, as long as I'm better than that person, right? Well, I, I, can, I, can, I can look at this person's life and this person's experience and this person's trial, and then because of that, because of their worldview and this worldview and what's going on in Africa and what's going on here, I can craft for myself my own image of God by looking at this world instead of looking at the world beyond us. So, so we, we look at the creation, we idolize the creation, we take from the creation and then craft a new God for ourselves. It's, it's, it's nothing different from what animals do. We forget who we are. The people of Israel do the same thing. Right? The story continues, and God approaches his people, approaches Abraham, and says, I am going to make for myself and gather for myself a people for my own purpose, that you would reflect me corporately to this world, that they would know the God of the Bible through you, right? This doesn't go well for Israel either. Disobedience after disobedience after disobedience, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail. God gives them this beautiful checklist, 260-something commandments, and says, hey, go, and if you can live by these, you can prove yourself holy. They weren't able to do it, right? They weren't able to do it. And so I'm happy, I'm happy for this part of the sermon to tell you the story didn't stop there either, right? The story doesn't stop with the people of Israel. Instead, it goes on. And something happens. Something happens to, to redeem all of this. Colossians 1.15 says this. It said, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So Christ, right, the perfect representative, the perfect unblemished image of God, steps down from the heavenlies, comes down to earth, lives a perfect life, dies a death that he doesn't deserve. The only, the only man in history who dies a death he doesn't deserve. Why? To reconcile and to redeem our broken mirrors. See, we were so shattered, so scattered, trying to find ways, the people of Israel, to please God, to reflect God. And they failed, and they failed, and they failed. Until God said, yeah, it's, it's time. It's time. I will send my perfect image bearer 
to come to bear on a cross the sins of the world so that the reflection and the image of God would be redeemed in the lives of his people. I mean, this is, we, we, we now who put our faith in Jesus are restored to the original intention of what God made man for. He takes that broken, shattered mirror with all the pieces and he, he just begins to glue the pieces back together. One by one, creating a perfect image of who he is. Now, this is a process. We call this sanctification, right? Where God slowly makes us more and more like Jesus. But here's the difference. No longer do we have to look to one another and to society and to culture and to ourselves to define for us who God is. Now we just look to Jesus Christ. Now we just look to the one perfect image of God that we've heard about, that we read about, that we pray to, and that we exalt every week here at the church. See, we, we have the image now to reflect and to pursue and to become the perfect mirrors that God would want us to be in this culture. There is not a more loving thing that God could have done. There's always hurt. There's always trial. There's always sin. There's always pain in this world. People say, well, where is God's love now? And I get the question, right? I get the question. I really do. But God showed all the love he needed to show when he died himself on a cross. That's, that is what makes this God loves. Because in the beginning, God creates man for all of these purposes to image himself. We mess up. We screw up continually over and over and over. And yet, in spite of that, God sends Jesus. God sends his perfect image bearer. There is not another loving act that God needs to do in your life. Because he already did it. He proved his love and faithfulness to us on the cross that day 2,000 years ago. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves you. That's the God that would put a responsibility on your life and on my life as human beings, but wouldn't just let it flounder, but intervenes and sends his son to a cross that we be redeemed. The last part there in verse 20, he talks about making peace by the blood of his cross. That word peace, this word shalom, right, is more than just the absence of war as we've become to know it. This word shalom is, is the complete restoration of all the fractured pieces of life, right? So in the garden when Adam sinned and shalom was removed, the peace of God was removed from the place, this world became a fractured semblance of its original intention and creation. But through the cross, Christ makes peace and restores that shalom. He restores the brokenness of the mirrors that were to be. And so here's the deal. How do we make this tangible, right? How do we make this implicational for us? How do we leave Redemption Gateway, 8.30 service, go out there and then be these mirrors. The first step, guys, the first step is you just, man, you got to know God. You got to know God. Read his word. Spend time with God. See God in your other Christian brothers and sisters. Right? If you don't know him, if you can't see him, you can't reflect him. So know God. Spend time learning about our God. There is not a greater thing that we can do 
other than to learn about this God that so loved us that he died on the cross. That's, that's paramount, okay? So whatever that looks like, get in a redemption community, right? Read your Bible more, talk to people. Just get to know God better, okay? And then secondly, to take the application that all of life matters and really run with it. We've all got those things. So a lot of you will, will start tomorrow, right? And you got Mondays, you know? So you got to go in the office and you got to start working. And normally that guy that always seems to steal your stapler, right? You just want to punch him in the face, right? Don't, okay? That's, that's putting that application into effect. It's, it's loving the people around you at all times and all aspects of life. So what I want us to do is say, hey, where am I revolving in life? What has God called me to? And just to understand the implication that God is saying, it all matters. You all reflect God in some way. And now you have the choice. Are you going to reflect his true character or are you going to reflect something else that you've created for your own benefit? That's the choice we have every time. And so, make the right choices. And so I'll end with this. First John 3, 2. God says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That in the end of days, when Christ returns and we have the opportunity to see him face to face, that mirror that was shattered, that is being glued and redeemed and put back together in this life will be fully restored. That after this life, we become perfect image bearers of who God is for eternity. I mean, there's, that is the hope that we rest in this morning that is, that, is, that is the praise and glory of Christ this morning that we have that opportunity. That as, as people, not just here at Gateway, but at our other campuses and every Christian across this world can united come together and proclaim the hope that we have in the future glory of who God is making us to be. And it's not about us. It's about him. It's about making his name great. That's what we're all about here making his name great, proclaiming his name, but doing it through our fractured lives in hope of the eternity promised before us. That sound good? Let's pray. God, thankful for, um, thankful for these truths. God, that you would, for whatever reason, God, decide to take your ability and your power and your, your greatness and form out of nothing who we are. God, that we would have an opportunity to magnify and glorify your name and what we do and what we say and how we live. God, that you would put and think of that responsibility and put it on man. And God, we thank you that you didn't just leave us alone in that. But God, in that moment, that God, that you equipped us through the powering of your cross to be people that can figure out a way to not do it terribly. So God, we ask for your blessing this morning. We ask that as we respond to you in singing and in communion, that God, you would be with us, that you'd meet with us, that God, we would ultimately reflect you in everything we do, even in this place this morning as we sing songs, that God, we would reflect your character, your goodness, your righteousness, your love, your truth. 
God, you're so good to us. We proclaim it this morning. God, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. 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 Well, you can, uh, you can close your Bibles and pack up your stuff. We're going to spend some time now just responding to the truth that we heard, the good news that um, though we're broken mirrors, Jesus Christ came to, to fix us. And uh, we're, we'll hear, like Vince said, more about that next week. But want to lead you now in a time of response. We're going to do a number of things to respond to the reality of what we heard and what God's doing in our hearts. Uh, the first is just pray. We've got a little bit of extra time today, so we're going to give you some extra time uh, to, to do that, to, to bow your heart before the Lord, to reflect on these truths, and, and really to pray this prayer. I'd, I'd encourage you, um, ask God how you can reflect him um, what ways that you can kind of specifically, the steps you can specifically take this week to reflect him in the, the different spheres of life that God allows you uh, to live in. So let's...